Welcome to Many Happy Returns, where we aim to make you a better investor. I'm Roman. And I'm Michael. Vanguard pioneered passive index funds, driving down fees and maximising returns for ordinary investors. But with the rise of innovative new brokers in the UK, has Vanguard lost its mojo? I want to know if Vanguard is still the king of passive investing. And in today's dumb question of the week, is one fund really enough? Okay, let's get into it. So when we were trying to think of a topic for this week, I said, Roman, is there anything you just want to rant about? And we get it off your chest. And you said, Vanguard. So <laughs> here we are. What do you want to talk about Vanguard for? The thing is, with Vanguard, it was the first thing I ever made videos about. The first thing which really got any traction. And I was quite excited about it because it was new. It had just come to the UK and it was very low fee. So it seemed as if it was solving a lot of the problems that were there in the UK market for people who were investing. But it just feels as if the shines come off Vanguard. I don't know why. I mean, we'll talk about the reasons, but I just think at the moment it's just not the most innovative solution which is out there. Maybe they've got left behind. I mean, they're never going to be the most exciting company, presumably. Their whole thing is low fee, relatively no frills. So they used to be at the Vanguard, but now they're not, unfortunately. So what was so special about Vanguard? I know they were formed in the mid-70s, weren't they, in America? Well, it was the brainchild of Jack Bogle, who I absolutely adore as a person. If you read Robin Wigglesworth's book about index investing, he talks about Jack Bogle. The book's called Trillions. Yep, the book's called Trillions. And it's the only part of the book where I cried. I actually cried. What? <laughs> about Jack Bogle? Yeah, because he was invited to a meeting by Warren Buffett, one of the kind of annual powwows for Berkshire Hathaway. And he just gave him this glowing pean in front of all of the people at the meeting. And when I read the description of what he said about Jack Bogle, it brought tears to my eyes. All right, let's see if I can make you cry again. I'll read <laughs> what Warren Buffett said. <laughs> he said about Jack Bogle, if a statue is ever erected to honour the person who has done the most for American investors, the hands-down choice would be Jack Bogle. For decades, Jack has urged investors to invest in ultra-low-cost index funds. In his crusade, he amassed only a tiny percentage of the wealth that has typically flowed to managers who have promised their investors large rewards while delivering them nothing, or, as in our bet, less than nothing, of added value. In his early years, Jack was frequently mocked by the investment management industry Today, however, he has the satisfaction of knowing that he helped millions of investors realise far better returns on their savings than they otherwise would have earned. He is a hero to them and to me. Well, I got goosebumps. I didn't cry. <laughs> I gave it my best sort of preacher at the mount. But Warren Buffett doesn't say that about everyone, does he? No, I mean, I've never heard him describe anyone like that, except maybe Munger. So what was it that was special about Vanguard and how did it sort of scare the rest of the industry at the time? Well, I think the whole idea of the index fund was fairly radical. And there were other companies that had experimented with it and created their own index funds. So Vanguard wasn't the first to promote this, but it was the one that did it the best, I think, and that really made it accessible to most people. It did become synonymous with passive investing, didn't it? It did. And it's still the case that when you think about a passive fund, whether it's in the UK or in the US, you usually think about Vanguard funds. Certainly, if I'm looking for a passive fund, I will always compare it to the Vanguard fund, just to sense check it and check its fee. 
Exactly. And then that's why they're really different, because they disrupted the entire market. And again, if you speak to a chap who does ETFs for Bloomberg, his name is Eric Balchunas. He's also written books about ETFs and passive investing. He's actually created a verb, which I think is great, to vanguard. What he means by that is that you enter a market, you disrupt it with your low fees so that everybody else has to lower their fees to compete with you. Otherwise, they'll just be finished in the market. So you go in and you undercut it and you drive down prices. Yeah. It's great for investors, both because, you know, passive funds, index funds outperform actively managed funds generally. And fees is one of the biggest things that determines your long-term returns. You get your fees low and it can make a massive difference over the decades. So just teaching people about that and explaining why he was doing what he was doing is something he did really well. So he was also a kind of preacher, if you like, for the movement of passive investing. So he was the high priest, but he wasn't just a theoretical high priest. He was also a practical one. He made something that was easy for people to invest in and he taught them how to use it. And it was kind of interesting how he structured Vanguard. So it's owned by the investors effectively which is different from, I think, pretty much every other investment firm out there, which is trying to maximise returns for its own shareholders. Vanguard was trying to maximise returns for its investors. So low fees is good, whereas for everyone else in the market, they'd rather higher fees, right? But what's also interesting is that he was an accidental messiah. He didn't actually mean to be the guy who created passive investing. He just got booted out of Wellington. That's the way it worked. It was really just a kind of boardroom battle. And then he eventually grew into that role. I heard that he did it out of spite, effectively. He thought, I've been screwed by the industry. I'm going to decimate it by cutting all their fees. So that was the finger to the industry, essentially, from him. But it just had an incredible effect, both in the US and elsewhere. And it was interesting that when Vanguard announced that it was coming to the UK in 2017, it was going to open up its platform to UK investors It did send shockwaves to the industry. So the titan in the UK was Hargreaves Lansdowne, and their shares fell 8.5% on the day of the Vanguard announcement. (laughs) I remember that. I was so excited. And I just thought, well, this is a disruption that's been a long time coming. And sure enough, it had its effect. The UK was vanguarded. And everybody else has had to lower their fees and raise their game just to compete. Even Hargreaves Lansdowne has started to lower its fees. St. James's Place has had to lower its fees. So the Vanguard effect goes beyond passive funds. What you see in the US, if you plot active fund fees, is that after Vanguard crushes the passive market in terms of fees, slowly that also spills over into active fees as well. And we should say that this podcast is in no way associated with Vanguard. We're not being paid by them. No way. We we do like them though, because, you know, like Buffett said, (laughs) they probably have done more for investors than anyone else. So what have you got against them now, Romin? You told me you have a love-hate relationship with Vanguard. Well, the way I think about Vanguard now is it's a little bit like a bohemian aunt. She tucks her skirt into her knickers. She's a bit scatty. She's not very well kempt. Why does she have so many cats? (laughs) Oh, dear. But the thing is, her heart's in the right place and she means well. And that's the way I think about Vanguard. You know, you speak to anybody who works there and they do have this religious dedication to low fees. But it just seems like they've taken their eye off the ball. So, for example, just to give one example, many of the platforms in the UK now offer the ability to buy Vanguard funds, but its total cost of ownership is lower than it would be 
on Vanguard's own platform. And that makes you think, well, why aren't they re-Vanguarding? Why aren't they responding to that cut in fees elsewhere? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? As I understand it, Vanguard is the cheapest if you have a small amount of assets to invest because it's charging a percentage fee. So obviously, if you haven't got many assets, your percentage fee is small. But then once you start to grow and have more assets invested, the so-called fixed fee brokers will be cheaper, where you just pay you know, a set amount, whether you've got £10 or £10 million in there. That certainly used to be true. But there is a model now where you have ETF-only funds available. Now, exchange-traded funds, for some reason, for a platform, are cheaper to run. So that can be passed through to the people who are on the platform. So if you're not bothered about whether it's a mutual fund, an open-ended investment company, as we call them, or an ETF, then there are platforms out there which are cheaper than Vanguard, even for small amounts, like Trading212. Platforms like Invest Engine, both of them are now cheaper than Vanguard. Plus, they've got all sorts of funky technology, which makes them very attractive. I think the thing I like about Vanguard, though, is that I feel that you always get what it says on the tin. There's not really a complexity. They're not trying to upsell me to trading contracts for difference or options or buying single stocks. It's like they've got a limited selection of funds and it's hard to go wrong. Yeah, their heart's in the right place and they try to steer you towards the type of investments which will do well. They're not trying to make you overtrade or dial up your risk or buy single stocks. You can't buy single stocks in Vanguard in the UK, right? You <laughs> can only right. buy Vanguard funds. It is very much like a soft play area, the yeah. Vanguard platform in the UK. Whereas you compare that with the Vanguard platform in the US, where you can buy almost any ETF on their platform. It's not restricted to just their products, as it is in the UK, where you've just got 86 products to choose from and that's it. But is that enough, those 86 products, for your core portfolio? Well, for me, it is, but they have annoying little things. Like, for example, if you just want a global fund, completely vanilla and standard thing, which is accumulation, it reinvests the income. Why do you have to pay 0.23% for that? So the FTSE Global All Cap Index Fund does have a 0.23% ongoing charge, but it does have a tilt towards mid caps and small caps, which I don't want. I just want a vanilla global market cap weighted index fund. The one I had to buy was 0.14%, but it excludes the UK and emerging markets. So please just make the obvious stuff available. Or why not have a sterling hedged global index fund or a sterling hedged US fund in case sterling crashes and you want to hedge the strengthening of sterling? Fairly standard things, not very exotic, but things which are just useful. I imagine what Vanguard would say is that everything you add brings complexity, right? And an extra choice for their users who are, I imagine, on the whole, not the most informed, even though they're doing it themselves. I know, for example, someone in my family came to me as, you know, the family resident investment guru. I don't know how I got that job. (laughs) And they said they signed up for Vanguard and there was... 90 funds or whatever it was. And they were looking at it and said, how does anyone choose a fund? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like A lot of people see that amount of funds and they think that's too many. But look, if you just had one global stock fund that was accumulation and market cap weighted, that's job done. But they haven't. They've got one which excludes the UK and emerging markets. Why can't they just have an accumulation fund which is global and market cap weighted? That's the vanillaest of vanilla. 
But the FTSE Global All Cap Index, which that global fund is tracking, is a standard benchmark. But the fee is 0.23. You know, you've got other platforms which offer you something for half the fee. There are things about the Vanguard platform that I find annoying, and I've used a few different platforms. It is bare bones. So there's no option for like auto rebalancing your portfolio saying, this is my allocation. And when it moves a certain amount of line, do the hard work for me. Sell what needs to be sold, buy what needs to be bought, or do it every six months or whatever it might be. You do have to do it manually, which seems like that wouldn't be that hard, would it? Whereas on some of these new platforms like Invest Engine on Trading 2 on 2, it's very easy to rebalance. They've got one click rebalancing. And rebalancing is so boring. I hate doing it. It shouldn't be painful. It should be a trivial thing. It should be one click. I mean, that's what computers are for. Ideally, it should be one click across all your platforms and different accounts. But, you know, we're not living in the future yet. And another thing, right? The other <laughs> You've got <laughs> something else to say, Robin. Well, look, let's say that you want to invest in an ETF. On these new platforms, they have fractional shares. So you don't have to buy a whole share if you haven't got enough money to buy it. Or if you've just got a little bit of cash left over in your account, it may not work out to be an exact multiple of the share price. So you've got cash left over, which is really annoying for someone who's slightly autistic like me. (laughs) (laughs) But again, this is kind of what I mean when it says Vanguard does what it says on the tin. Because I know there are some platforms who have been offering fractional shares in ISAs. And then I think the tax man is saying that's against the ISA rules. And there's this whole debate about whether they're ISA compliant. At least Vanguard's not got that problem. But I'm sure what's going to happen is they're going to approve that. I mean, a lot of the rules were made before fractional shares were a twinkle in the FCA's eye. But do you know what I mean? There is a trade-off here between moving quickly and operating in potential grey areas and being like super trustworthy. We're doing everything by the book and it's hopefully not going to go wrong, which is Vanguard. Yeah, I can appreciate that, but I don't have to like it. (laughs) Okay. But it's a trade-off. It's a genuine trade-off. But you should always think about what's best for your customers. What do the customers want? What makes their life a good life and makes it an easy life? And I think those other platforms have got it completely nailed. They don't come without their own foibles, of course. There's always something wrong with every platform. It's just that Vanguard, I think, has just missed really some of these big changes. And it doesn't seem to be innovating in terms of new funds either. It's not coming up with funds to do fairly basic things. My primary complaint about the Vanguard platform in the UK would more be that they've not really tailored it to UK investors. So they don't have a lifetime ISA, for example. They also don't let your employer pay contributions into your pension on there. There's no option to use it for auto-enrolment, for example. If you're self-employed, you can make payments through your company account. But you know, generally, you can't. And they don't even have a mobile app yet. I know they are developing one, but it would seem to be quite basic. Most people work with their mobile phones now, right? You can obviously use the website on there, but you know. Yeah, so it's got a little bit of a dowdy platform and they haven't really improved it that much over the time since they launched. They did finally introduce a SIP, but that took ages. That's a self-invested personal pension. Yeah, so they've got a personal pension that you can invest on Vanguard's platform. I I do use it. You know, I consolidated all all of my pensions onto their platform and they were great. You know, the support's great. The support is great. We need to say that the support is great because that makes a big difference with the platform, I think. If something goes wrong and you can't get in touch with someone and it's your money on the line, that's super frustrating. I've never had that problem with Vanguard. 
No, the support is very good, and they actually get their managers to man the support lines. So they're not going to be one level removed from the fray. They actually see what's going on, which is good, because they feel it. They walk around the shop floor, yeah. <laughs> no, they actually man the phone. <laughs> Maybe they just need more staff. Maybe the managers are overworked. <laughs> but the other thing I do like about them is that their fee is 0.15% as a platform fee. Not the lowest, but not bad. But it's capped, isn't it? And it's capped across all your accounts aggregated together. If you've got an ISA, a SIP, a general investment account, whatever. If your investments go above £250,000, then your platform fee is £375, that 0.15%. And that's the highest it can go per year. Yeah, and I've hit the cap now because I aggregated my pensions onto the platform. All right, humble brag. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, pensions, you know, you accumulate. I'm old. So I do feel as if, you know, that's, that's kind of one of the attractions of the platform. But even so, if I was to move on to another platform, I could get my fees lower. So they're not the cheapest. So why don't you move on to another platform then? People have asked me this, and I think it's to do with momentum. I do like them. You know, it's a kind of love-hate thing going on. I've got the feeling that their heart's in the right place. They're not trying to encourage me to do the wrong thing, which I very much appreciate. And there is momentum. You know, it's really hard to move platforms. Yeah. It took me ages to consolidate my pensions, for example. Some of them took months to move. And you could be out of the market for some time while that happens. There's massive friction, isn't there, between moving investment platforms, like with bank accounts. But bank accounts are much easier. And even there, people don't change their bank very often, do they? Yeah, ISAs are easy, actually. It's just the pensions, which took forever. And they still haven't got proper two-factor authentication. So, you know, it's something which is really basic and used on other platforms. There must be off-the-shelf tech solutions for that, but they have something where they just send you a text message. But one thing that I think Vanguard gets very, very right is that they make it very easy for people who have little investment knowledge to get started, to sign up, to put their money into maybe just one fund, like a life strategy fund, And it'll probably do okay for them over the long term. They don't make it complicated. And for most people, just getting started is the biggest thing. In the UK, the figures are something like only 12% of people invest through a stocks and shares ISA. So maybe it's not there to serve the people who want these really customizable portfolios. Don't get me started on life strategy. That's six times UK overweight. I mean, it's not even a doubling of the UK weight. It's six times the market cap weighting which is absolutely unjustifiable. When I questioned them about this, they just said it was easier to market. So even if it's not in the best interest of most people, then they've still got this huge overweight for life strategy, for target retirement. So, you know, they still haven't fixed that. All right, calm down, take a breath. (laughs) Let's just say what's life strategy. So these are their multi-asset funds, which have some stocks in them and some bonds in them. And you can tailor it up or down. So you could say I want 80% stocks, 20% bonds, or... Conversely, I want 80% bonds and 20% stocks. And what you're talking about is the nuance of what's actually in the stocks and the bonds component. Yeah, they're graded from 20% stocks up to 100 in jumps of 20%. So it's kind of like the levels of doom. If anyone's played that video game, where you go from don't hurt me all the way up to nightmare mode. So the more stocks you put in your portfolio, theoretically, the more risky it is. But during the sell-off in 2022, the lower risk Vanguard life strategy funds actually sold off a bit more than the higher risk ones because bonds had just their worst year on record. So stocks would have actually been the safest thing, which kind of confused people. But that overweight, 
is something which they still haven't rectified. And I don't know whether they're ever going to do that. I think it's set by a committee. So maybe we should campaign to have that changed. I think it's long time since they should have switched back to just market cap weighting. So bring the UK down from 24% of the stocks to 4% of the stocks? Yeah. But maybe what Vanguard would say is, our life strategies funds are our best-selling products. Why are you telling us to change them? <laughs> that's what everyone seems to want. But that's a choice. You know, they can always change the weighting. And I think it would still be popular. Most people don't even look under the tin. They don't look to see what's inside it. So do you think there's an ulterior motive? Is it cheaper for them to include more UK stocks in there? No, I think it's exactly what they say. If you have people who are investing in it from the UK, they might be a little bit shocked to see that the UK weights something like 5%. Give the people what they want. So there was an article on Bloomberg called Planet Boglehead, Vanguard Struggles to Win Over the World, talking about their expansion plans beyond the US. So after they crushed the competition in the US, they just thought, well, we'll expand this model elsewhere. The UK was one of the places where they went. They thought they'd do Asia as well, but that didn't do very well, I don't think. No, they've pulled out of Asia, basically. And Sean Haggerty, who I think runs their UK outfit, is quoted as saying, I don't think we should give clients what they want. Vanguard, he says, gives people what Vanguard thinks they should want. But in the UK, I think Vanguard has been quite successful since it launched. So it's got nearly 500,000 clients on its platform and over £15 billion in assets under management. That's not to be sniffed at. And the thing I like is that they are attracting young investors now. So they say that around 40% of new Vanguard clients last year in the UK were under the age of 30. That's quite nice that we're seeing young people go into sensible passive investing, I guess, and not being fully into crypto and trading meme stocks. And especially on a platform which doesn't have an app, I think that's even more remarkable. But it does encourage the right behaviour. So I, I agree completely. I think if I had to choose a platform for my kids where they wouldn't get hurt, this would be a good one. It does encourage good behaviour, I think. So Vanguard said that, for example, in 2022, just 14% of its users made any trades at all. So most people are clearly buying and holding for the long term. So that means 86% didn't trade at all. And of the people that did trade, 62% of them traded just once. Which is great. I think that's the exact kind of behaviour that you want to see, because that's most likely to achieve better returns. So this platform that we've spent a little bit of time being critical of, remember that they are cheap, if not the cheapest. They tend to offer funds which are well-designed if not perfect, and the people on the platform are behaving like good investors. It's not all bad, is it? Oh, no. No, no, no. And that's one of the reasons why I stick with them. I think it's fair to say they kind of don't know where to go next, right? So they tried launching a financial advice arm, and the theory there was that they were trying to undercut the fees that traditional financial advisors pay. They were going to vanguard financial advice? Yeah, they were going to say, you pay us 0.79% as a fee inclusive of fund fees, transaction and platform charges, all of that. But it was restricted advice. I remember at the time, they could only offer you products which were on their own platform. Yeah, but they don't have any other products on their own platform. But it wasn't independent financial advice, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but it was trying to make it super cheap, right? Yeah. But I don't think they got enough signups and they've now shut it down. But thankfully, it means we'll never see another promo for financial advice on their platform because <laughs> they did get annoying. <laughs> So just to finish, let's say you're put in charge of Vanguard UK for the day. What are the top five things you're changing? 
Give me a global stock fund that's accumulation and low fee. Why can't you do the same as VT in the US, which is 0.08%? So that's number one. Number two. (laughs) Expand your range of funds. They don't cover even the most basic of needs in some cases. For example, why not have an accumulation money market fund? You've only got an income version. And I'm always asked by people, what's the rate of return? If you showed them the accumulation version, which I know exists because I found the icing code and I can see the returns, it would be a lot simpler. Give us a small cap value fund as well while you're at it. Yeah, bring back the factor funds, which you closed down two years ago. Let Romin lose money with low volatility. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, number three. Rebalancing. One click rebalancing. Why can't you do that? Because all the managers are down on the phones. Number four. Get rid of your UK overweight in life strategy and target retirement. Not difficult. Just talk to the committee. And finally, what's your last request of Vanguard? Sorry, not request. You're in charge in this scenario. (laughs) What are you implementing? Some of your fees, now that you've vanguarded the UK, are not so competitive. There are cheaper global funds, for example. So now you've got the scale, lower your fees. Okay, that's that sorted then. (laughs) Probably not going to be profitable and we'll probably go out of business. Good luck, Vanguard. (laughs) Now you've heard I've got pretty strong opinions about Vanguard. Not all of them favourable. You can discuss the platform choice with other members of our community, and that way you'll get a more broad experience of which the best platforms are. To learn more about joining us, just look at our website, pensioncraft.com. Okay, today's dumb question of the week. Is one fund really enough? So we mentioned life strategy earlier, which is Vanguard's idea of a multi-asset fund, which you can bung all your investment money into and hold it for decades. And, you know, other platforms offer similar things. But is that really a good idea? And is it safe? It seems like you're putting all your eggs in one basket. If it was the case that it wasn't diversified, yeah, I think that would be an issue. However, the risk of the actual fund manager going bust is probably the only thing you'd have to consider because these funds are globally diversified. So you're already diversified, as diversified as you can possibly be with one of these global funds, global stock funds, global bond funds. So you're not going to get a lot more diversification by splitting your cash. I think that's the thing that most investors don't understand. It seems weird that you can be maximally diversified by buying just one thing. But it's like under the hood, it's owning so many different things under there. Which wouldn't have been possible not very many years ago. But now it is very easy to do and it's very cheap to do. But are there any disadvantages to just going into life strategy or my map or any of these other alternatives? I think that one of them is when you go into retirement, you have to sell some of the fund in order to live. And if you can't split it out between stocks and bonds, you have to sell the entire fund. You don't have a choice over what to sell. So let's say stocks have just crashed. You'd still have to sell some of those crashed stocks in order to just live. Whereas if you'd split it into stocks and bonds, at least you could not sell the thing which had crashed and give that thing which has crashed time to recover. So you get less ability to customise your returns. But I guess that's the point, isn't it, of keeping it super simple, is that some people aren't going to feel they have the ability or the knowledge to do that. True. I mean, it is simpler. However, there's quite a bit of research which shows that if you sell the bonds first, usually that gives you a better long-term return 
and a more robust retirement portfolio. I guess the other consideration with these multi-asset funds is that they typically tend to be some combination of stocks and bonds. But there are other assets, aren't they? If you look at different portfolios you can construct, some people say include gold or commodities, or choose the duration of the bonds even to give you a different kind of flavor of portfolio. Whereas if you're buying one fund, you're very much reliant on the asset allocation that's been decided for you. Yeah, for example, in 2022, you would have suffered quite a big hit from the bond fall. And you didn't really have a choice about that. Stocks and bonds both fell at the same time. The only thing which would have saved you would have been gold or broad commodities because oil prices surged at the same time. And like you say, the choice of duration is one that you don't have any control over. It must be quite a thing to try and design one of these funds, which is appropriate for the most amount of people. So you said you don't like the UK overweight, for example. And I imagine you'd not like any geographic overweight, regardless of where people are based. I've heard they do this in other countries. Whatever the country they're based in, they give it an overweight. Although I did see one in Australia, and that didn't have the overweight, which was interesting. I imagine the local government likes the fact that there's an overweight. Because the UK government, for example, is always trying to come up with wheezes to get more people to invest in UK stocks. There's talk now, isn't there, of maybe there's going to be another ISA allowance for investing in UK stocks. So maybe they're quite happy with Vanguard's life strategy allocation. You heard it here first. That's what the mainstream media don't want you to know. <laughs> yes, Vanguard, you can launch in the UK if you have a UK overweight. <laughs> <laughs> this didn't happen. Don't worry. <laughs> But to go back to the question of if you're the asset manager designing this one fund portfolio for people, I imagine you would just want to keep it as neutral as possible, market cap weighted, and with the bond fund just tracking the broadest possible passive bond index. Yeah, I mean, there are problems with that. So for example, if you buy a market cap weighted bond fund, by definition, you're buying the markets, the countries which issue the most debt. So do you want the most indebted countries? to form the largest part of the, of the index and your portfolio? Possibly not. Another problem is that there isn't a passive index for multi-asset funds. They have to kind of make it up. That's why they need the committee. So I think if there were passive global multi-asset indices, maybe that would be more acceptable because then you could have competition, that would drive down the prices. But even that indice is going to have to be decided by someone, right? We've always said before that there's passive, but then in passive, there's flavors and things that you think are passive are kind of a little bit active. There's always a decision-making process. But this is not passive at all in the sense that it's not tracking an index. They just made it up. And I know that BlackRock's alternative to life strategy, which is the MyMap funds, they are explicitly actively managed, aren't they? Yeah, but I think they have very tight risk limits and they also have a very restrictive allocation. They can't deviate much. But you're right, it is actively managed. And for someone who really does want to keep it simple, they just want to buy one fund, they want to hold it for decades. What would you say to them in terms of choosing a fund and thinking about these risk levels that, for example, Vanguard put on their life strategy funds? Or is life strategy and its alternatives even the way to go? Well, clearly I've gone down this route myself. So I just have one fund in my core. It is a global stock fund. It isn't a bond and stock fund. But the choices that you're making really become much easier because of that simplicity. Really, it comes down to fees. There's a lot of competition in the space for global stock funds, for example. And so it is just a matter of something which is standardized 
where you're just choosing the thing which is lowest fee. And the higher risk tolerance you have, maybe the more stocks you can tolerate. Yeah, I mean, there's the risk question, which is separate from the single fund choice question. How annoying would it be if you piled all your money into one single fund and then they closed the fund down, like <laughs> fund managers tend to do every so often? That may well happen in my case. So, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's possible, but it's just an inconvenience, really. As long as it doesn't crystallise again, there's no kind of tax implication because it's in an ISA, then I wouldn't be that bothered. Oh, yeah. As soon as Vanguard listened to this episode, your fund is getting closed, Ryan. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for many happy returns. Do send us your questions, no matter how dumb, at the email address mhr at pensioncraft.com. And do remember to check out pensioncraft.com for all the information about our membership and investment coaching options. Many Happy Returns is a Pensioncraft production, co-hosted and executive produced by Romin Nakiza and Michael Pugh. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes and is not financial advice. We do not provide recommendations or endorse any decision to buy, sell or hold any security. We cannot be held responsible for any actions listeners may take and investors are encouraged to seek independent financial advice.